everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Oh Shoot. Today, we are having a little chat about Thor The Dark World. And, you know, before we, before I really get into it, I'm going to share some thoughts on my mind about my excitement, about some Marvel things that are happening very, very soon. So next week, of course, oh, I'm so excited. Shang-Chi is finally coming out September 3rd. I'm so excited. I have my tickets already and I'm literally just counting down the days until I can sit inside a movie theater, some popcorn and a drink and watch this movie. I'm so excited. Like Um, I was actually talking with some friends about this and I'm like, I think I'm going to end up watching it twice in theaters because I just have a really good feeling about this movie and I I can't explain it. It's just, it's there and I just know it's going to be incredible. And again, I could not be more excited to go watch it. And next up, Spider-Man No Way Home. Wow. So as I'm recording this, it is... August 23rd. Okay. Now, yesterday on August 22nd on Instagram, Tom Holland posted on his story just a black screen with the text, You ain't ready. And I took this as a big, big clue that a trailer is coming soon for Spider Man No Way Home. That was a big indicator. I saw that and I was like, okay, trailer has to be coming soon. My guess was kind of going with it'll show at CinemaCon and then a day later be officially released online. And that could happen. That could not happen. Who knows? But there's been other kind of theories circulating as well. And this is what I love about Marvel fans. The theories are, there are always theories. Brains are always working. But the theory goes that the leaked trailer that was dropped online was just like a PR stunt. Or kind of like the other side of it was that the leaked trailer was not actually the real trailer for the movie. And I'm like, Wow, I don't even know what to believe, but I've had a lot. I had a lot of friends sending me the trailer. I did not watch it, and I I've said it once, and I'll say it again. I don't really want a trailer. I don't even know if I'm going to watch the trailer if it drops because there's just something about No Way Home that I want to experience fully in theaters. I don't want to see a single thing about this movie before I'm sitting in a sitting there watching it I don't want to see a thing like I don't want to hear anything I don't want to know anything going into this movie the basic knowledge that I have so far is good enough for me like you know the whole crew is going to be there I know Doctor Strange is going to be there that's great that's fine you know what I learned at the end of Far From Home Peter's identity being revealed okay that's cool that's great That's it. That's all I want to know. I don't want to know anything else, guys. Like, I want to go into this movie blind. That is all. That's my thought. And 
you, there is a chance I could cave and watch the trailer. Full disclosure, going to be fully honest there because I feel like it might happen, but I'm going to stay strong and not, I'm going to avoid it. But come on, let's get into it. Thor, the dark world. Let's do this. So this is yet again another Marvel movie that I'm not overly fond of. And this is not a favorite amongst fans. It is when people, when you get any Marvel fan or any Marvel movie watcher get at, gets asked, what is the worst movie? <laughs> There's a really high chance The Dark World is going to be brought up. Because it is bad. It's bad. There are so... This movie just does not work. And this is due to a number of reasons. And it a lot goes into it not being a good movie. And I mean, it's kind of shit. It's kind of... It's really disappointing. It always sucks when one of the movies are bad. And I don't know. I It's kind of like disappointing that it's that this is the case. And I know that last week I did mention how Iron Man 3 wasn't really my favorite and I'm not overly fond of that one, but I actually love that one a lot more compared to this movie, like by a significant amount. Like this movie, I just straight up do not like. like. It's a bit difficult to watch. It's messy and it was just really clear that this movie was basically made for the sake of it being necessary and them needing the sequel and them needing to fill in this gap and, you know, putting it into the timeline and its purpose in leading up to the Infinity War. But the thing is, just the passion is not there. The energy is not there. And a lot of this is due to a lot of messy production issues and I that always ends up being the case. All right. So to kind of start it off, initially Patty Jenkins was brought on as director and she wanted to have a very Romeo and Juliet kind of spin on the story and really focus in on Thor and Jane's relationship. And, you know, in retrospect, this seemed like a pretty good idea, you know, with because it would put a little more focus on Jane's character, make her a lot more well-rounded and a stronger character and treat her a lot better than they did in Thor, which, you know, her character isn't very memorable when you think of her in that way. And kind of like on that note of her character and not being treated well, this kind of happens a Again with this movie but you know the thing was the producers and Marvel they wanted to still have that mythic element and they still wanted um, Malachi's the villain in this movie to kind of be a bigger character and to have more focus on him being the bad guy rather than focusing in on Thor and Jane's relationship and having that as kind of like the major pop plot point but again they needed this movie to fit into the timeline and have less of a focus on the relationship 
So then Jenkins kind of realized that their visions were not really aligned and she ultimately left the project. And a lot of the actors were quite upset about this. And because of all of these issues of, you know, directors coming on and coming off and like not really being able to hold on to someone, the actors kind of like noticed this and that bit of discourse and the fact that things were just not aligned and things were all over the place. They noticed this and they definitely were upset. And Natalie Portman was actually quite upset about Jenkins leaving the project as well. But then Alan Taylor was brought on as the director, which definitely seemed like a fantastic choice. You know, he was really known for The Sopranos and he directed a number of episodes for Game of Thrones, I believe for season one and season two, which are some of the best episodes of the show. And he also had a big vision for the movie. And again, while he did stick with the movie and directed the whole thing, it kind of got taken a bit of a different direction during post-production. And I just think it was really interesting kind of thinking about what happened with this movie and the fact that there was this many issues and the directors not really aligning with what the producers wanted. And it kind of reminded me of what happened with Iron Man 2 when John Favreau really wanted to kind of go the demon in a bottle route with Tony's character. But then the producers were kind of not really for it and wanted to take it in a different direction. So I saw that kind of like running theme and was like, oh, that's very interesting. And again, pretty shitty that it happened. And the kind of like last thing I want to know is Malachi, because look me in the eye and tell me you remember every little thing about this character. I couldn't tell you. Like I could tell you a bit, but he's not memorable at all. Like. It's really disappointing. And again, going back to Iron Man 2 with Ivan Vanko, um, you know, his villain story was messy and it didn't make sense. And it was kind of like, where's the motive? Like, I don't really fully understand your story. I don't understand who you are as a character. And that happening, that happened in this movie with Malachi, you know you they tried to give us backstory they tried to give us a little bit of history into his character and his purpose and like why he's doing what he's doing but it just felt a little messy and it just didn't fully make sense and actually um christopher eccleson i can never say his last name ever but you know who i'm talking about so he is Malachi and he is not a fan of this role at all he has definitely openly slandered his role in this and is just not a fan at all and I do know that he I, th- I think I read that he is open and would love to come back into the Marvel universe but as a different character and here is the thing they could absolutely bring him back as a brand new character and no one would ever think or remember that he was Malachi because I completely forgot he played that character. Every single time I watch this movie, I'm like, 
I'm listening to the voice and I'm looking at the face, even though, you know, there's like a lot of prosthetics and makeup on. I'm like, you look familiar. And then I have, you know, I go to Google, I look it up and I'm like, oh, Christopher, Doctor Who. (laughs) Anyway, um, yeah, that's about it. (laughs) Uh, But again, really unfortunate that villains don't always become these well-rounded characters with layers that we can really understand. And I wish that was the case. And I wish that was the standard. But again, we are beginning to see that now more than before. So thank goodness for that. It's just a shame that that kind of got lost in translation with Thor The Dark World. But kind of getting on into the movie, which isn't that much better, but it's still got some nice moments. As always, I've said it once and I'll say it again. Even shitty movies still have their moments that make them decent in those like, you know, five minutes the scene is occurring. So with Thor the Dark World, naturally some of the best scenes are the Loki ones. And we have some incredible Thor and Loki moments in this movie. And, you know, that's the thing about Thor movies that I love so much. They are Loki's movies as much as they are Thor's. Tell me I'm wrong. Because in every single mo- in every single Thor movie, Loki play does play a rather big role. And his story in each of them is a rather important one and complements Thor's story. And with this movie, it is, again, that their relationship is something that shines through. And of course, of course, it is really thanks to Chris and Tom and their incredible chemistry. But it really is one of my favorite things about the Thor movies. And it's something I'm going to miss in Thor Love and Thunder. Like, I'm so glad that we have Loki still in the MCU, you know, with uh, the TV show Loki and the rumors of him appearing in some of the other movies. He's still around, but I'm like, I need my, I need my Thor and Loki content guys. I, I need to see them as brothers. It, it gives me serotonin. Okay. (laughs) And honestly, like thinking about that relationship, I almost wish that Jenkins's version of the movie came into fruition because one of the really important things with Thor is his relationships with others. And some of my favorite parts are kind of seeing him being vulnerable with those he cares about. And that's one of the things about Thor. He has a massive heart and he cares deeply for others. And I really would have enjoyed to see his relationship with Jane be shown at a deeper level, not necessarily having it be the major plot-driven element of the movie, but something that still deserves to be explored and to get those layers, you know, and be something that we can remember. And that is some another kind of reason why I'm kind of excited for Love and Thunder, because maybe in that movie, we will actually see the relationship kind of receive the justice that it deserves. I mean, obviously, they're broken up, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a relationship there, 
relationship isn't always a romantic one, right? So I'm hoping that gets explored a bit more in that movie. And I have high hopes that it will. I have full trust in Taika, especially after Ragnarok. And honestly, a lot of his movies, I just, I trust this man, okay? He does good movies. But again, it is going to be really tough not seeing Loki again. And I mean, who knows? Maybe just maybe we will see Loki reunite with Thor again at some point because we have a Loki still. What's to say that he won't end up finding Thor or running into him? Even though I'm sure it may be ill-advised by some, like, I don't know, Doctor Strange, who knows? In a perfect world and in my personal happiness, it happens, okay? Okay. Thank you. That was, (laughs) I just had to get that thought out there. But one of the relationships that we got to see a lot more in this movie is the one between Thor and Frigga, as well as Loki and Frigga. Now, both of their relationships with their mother is something I love. And it's always interesting to compare it to how their relationship with Odin is, because it's very different. Like, it's very, very different. And Frigga has genuine deep love for her boys. She wants what's best for them. And she also wants them to be together as brothers. She knows the bond is there. And the thing is, she does see how much they each care about the other, even if they aren't even really showing it in that way. Like with Loki, he's very, he keeps his true thoughts and feelings very, very close to his chest. And he very rarely kind of expresses those and shows it to others. And while Loki is locked up in the dungeons, she visits him often in secret and tries very hard to guide him to see reason. And she also arranges for books and food to be brought to him as well. And The thing is, Loki now just kind of spends most of his day reading the books that she is bringing to him. And while Loki kind of puts up that tough front, she sees right through it. She sees right through it and sees that kind of like inner turmoil and that he's struggling. And one of the really interesting things is that, you know, we see Loki kind of being most vulnerable when he's interacting with Frigga, even if it's not really obvious, it's kind of, it's really there. And it's just in those subtle moments that we see it. And there's this little moment when they're speaking and it's one of the moments that always stands out to me. And what happens is that Frigga refers to Odin as his father and Loki kind of yells out that he's not his father. And Frigga asks him, then am I not your mother? And Loki takes a bit of a pause before saying, you are not. And then, oh God. And then how Frigga responds is always so perceptive about everyone but yourself. And the thing is that she knows he's lying about this. And she knows that he does view her as his mother. And he absolutely does. Because when she asks, then am I not your mother? If he truly didn't see her that way, he would have reacted right away just as he 
did when she referred to Odin as his father, he would have right away said, you are not. But he took a pause. And the way that he says it doesn't have the same power either. It's, it's just, oh my God, I just, it kind of hurts me because I, I understand it's really difficult for Loki to be this vulnerable and to be this honest with how he's feeling. But what I also love is that Frigga knows that he's lying and knows the truth that's kind of within him. And then at the end of this, um, he goes to reach for her hand and her holographic projection disappears. And he's again left alone to kind of ponder and think about his actions. And that's something that he, I feel like he needed, you know, being while that loneliness isn't overly good he kind of needs to be alone with his thoughts to really put things into perspective and understand his actions but again just in his relationship with his mother Frigga never saw Loki as adopted or someone who wasn't her own she looks at him and she sees her son the boy that she raised since he was a kid. Like, goodness, it's just uh, my heart, my poor heart. Thinking about this, I get into like a deep spiral and I think too hard onto it. And wow, it's rough. It's real rough. But now let's kind of go to her relationship with Thor. It is very similar. Um, he, he's her son and she loves and cares for him a lot. And we, while we did see a lot of this in the first Thor movie, we see it again in this movie. And one of the things that she definitely wishes is that Thor and Loki kind of continue that brotherly relationship and bond because she knows it's there. And it's true because at the end of the day, you know, Thor does love his brother quite a bit. And it's just one of my favorite things. Thor and Loki, my two favorite brothers, it, they're, they have been through a lot. Their relationship has had its ups and downs and turns and so many things have gone in their way. But at the end of the day, Thor is willing to do a lot for his brother. However, one of my favorite kind of bits about Frigga and Thor is seeing their relationship and seeing their scene together in Endgame when Thor comes to Asgard with Rocket to retrieve the ether but you know naturally we we're gonna have to wait until that episode to dig deep into that scene and I feel like I'm gonna drop this as a side note I think it's really funny because I've been thinking a lot about the Endgame episode lately, which I have no reason to because we're not even halfway to that episode. That's literally not until December, end of November. I don't even know. It's a long ways away. But I just, this, that movie is going to have to be multiple parts because I have a lot to say about that movie. And I mean, to be fair, it is a three hour movie, but Again, I'm going to have a lot to say because even sitting here right now, I can think of probably 
10 different elements of that movie I'd want to dig deep into. And some of it might be me crying. I don't know. I guess we'll have to find out. I'm not excited for that episode. I'm really not, but (laughs) it's going to happen. So Frigga's death scene is heartbreaking, to say the least. It's one of the scenes that I definitely cry at. And this leads on to her funeral scene where we see her soul ascend to Valhalla. But the part that really, really gets me is when the one guard goes down to tell Loki what's happened to her. And first of all, oh man, I just, the fact that it's a guard telling him and not Odin or Thor or even like one of the warriors three or Sif, it's just a guard. And oh man, I, the scene hurts me. The pain he feels and the heartbreak you feel it. You can see it. Frigga was the one person who had really truly believed and cared for him. And now she was gone. And that just kind of sent him into a bit of a fit of rage. And he ended up trashing his cell. And that's so understandable why. And uh, it hurts me so much. And her death has a major, major impact on him. And it's one of the key reasons why he agrees to help Thor and avenge his mother. Now, this all kind of leads me to Loki's quote-unquote death in this movie. We've seen Loki die many times, and this is, and I mean, like, throughout the MCU, we see him die quite a bit. We're not talking about Infinity War right now. That is out of the, not in discussion right now. He is alive. They. Okay, he's alive. But again, this is one of the times where he's not actually dead, luckily. But when he's wounded and apparently dying in Thor's arms, they share some words. And Thor's telling him how he'll tell their father of what he's done for them. And essentially, you know, speaking on Loki's sacrifice. And Loki just responds that he didn't do this for him. He didn't do this for Odin. He is sharing that everything he's done and the choices that he's made from when Thor got him out of the dungeon to this moment, he did that all for their mother. And I think about this a lot. I think about this often and oh man, and it just, it gets even worse when watching the TV show Loki because we see Loki really like, witness her death and that realization that he inadvertently caused her death by telling curse how to exit the dungeons which ultimately you know eventually had led curse to where Frigga was which later led to her death so now he's blaming himself for his mother's death and I don't like it I think, again, when I start thinking about these things, I go into a spiral and I think deep into them. I cannot stop thinking about them. And I think about all the details and all the layers and how each of the characters get impacted and their sadness. And we focus in on the sadness and the heartbreak and the pain. And it's not a great time. It's not fun. But 
let's move on to something a bit more lighthearted because that seems like a good idea for my benefit because I don't want to, I don't need to spiral into that sadness right now. But one of my favorite, favorite moments in this movie is the Chris Evans cameo. Love me some Chris Evans. And the fact that he's in this movie for a brief amount of time, I absolutely love it. And it's just, it's hilarious. It's unexpected. And it's the way that Loki portrays the Captain America energy that I love the most. And it's, and it's just the way that they kind of filmed the scene too. So they had Tom Hiddleston don the Captain America attire and he acted out the scene with, may I add, a stellar Chris Evans impression. But Chris watched this and he listened to how Tom was acting it out. And when he was on camera, he basically just mimicked the way that Tom did it. And there actually is a deleted scene where you can see Tom Hiddleston acting it out. And it's absolutely incredible. Like I, Tom is really good at impressions. If you've seen his interviews, you see him do it a number of times. <laughs> he's done a number of characters and he's a number of the actors as well. He's really good at it and so, so funny. So it's definitely worth a watch. And I just love scenes like this in movies. Um, and when I see this scene, it reminds me of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows part two when Hermione takes the Polyjuice potion to turn into Bellatrix. And they did the scene the exact same way where Emma Watson acted out the scene as she would as Hermione. And then Helena Bonham Carter just kind of mimicked the way that she was on camera. And I absolutely love it. And it really shows a kind of true testament to their acting as well when they're able to really accurately mimic the other. Because with this, you see you are seeing Steve Rogers, but you can tell that it's Loki, you know? And it's just really, really well done. I don't know. Like Chris Evans did a really good job in this brief moment that he was in this movie. And it's a scene I sometimes forget about, but then when I remember it, I absolutely love it so much. But... One last thing I want to discuss is the element that leads up to the bigger picture of the Infinity War saga, the ether. So the ether represents the fabric of reality and it's been liquefied into a dark red fluid, which is how we see it in this movie. Now, we more commonly know it as the reality stone, but it was turned into an actual solid by Thanos when he retrieved it from nowhere. And what's really cool about this is that this is the first time we really hear about the Infinity Stones for the first time in these movies. And it's the first time that we actually get to see it. And we've learned about in seeing the Tesseract and the Scepter but at this point in this movie, we don't know that they contain an infinity stone. We don't know that. That that hasn't been shown in the movies. 
it isn't until, let's see, Age of Ultron, where we learn the scepter held, holds the Mind Stone. And then for the Tesseract, I don't even think it's until Infinity War when we learn that it contains the Space Stone. And just kind of realizing and thinking about it, because in this movie, you know, we see the Collector and he's holding um, the ether and says, you know, one Infinity Stone down, like five more to go. And it's that realization that everything is leading up to something huge and something incredible. And I love it when those movies have it. I love it when they have a brief scene or, you know, end credits scene where you're like, oh my God, this is leading up to something really, really special. And it almost reminds me of, you know, seeing the end credits scene in the Avengers when we see Thanos for the very, very first time. It's like, oh shit. Oh shit. Like this is, this is just one small element into something huge. And I'm very excited about it. It just, it, it's those little moments that really make me love the MCU and really make me love these movies. But that's about it on the movie. I think any final thoughts I have would be the score is incredible. I absolutely love the music of this movie. Uh, who, who was it? Brian Tyler was the composer for this movie and he does a he does incredible he does an absolutely amazing job the piece into eternity is one of my absolute favorites it's so beautiful it's heartbreaking and it's one i will always remember and another element is that the deleted scenes and extended scenes are pretty interesting and i would say that they're definitely worth a watch If you haven't seen them, you know, you can find them on YouTube or Disney Plus if if you've got that. But kind of like on that note, if you are watching on Disney Plus, there are a number of extra kind of behind the scenes uh, videos that you can watch and clips on the journey of Thor and Loki. And they're just really great to see. And I definitely recommend it. It provides a lot of depth into these characters and I don't know I just recommend giving them a watch but alas that is the end of this episode thank you so much for listening um you know this movie wasn't that great but you know it's still interesting to talk about but I hope you enjoyed and again, thank you so much for all of the support. I've been really feeling the love and support lately, and I cannot be more grateful. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter if you haven't already. You can find me at Oh Shoot Podcast. I post a lot of random things on Instagram, and I always have random thoughts. And I also love sharing TikToks. And on that note, I'm also on TikTok. You can find me at Oh Shoot Podcast. I Well, I have a couple of videos up right now and I will be creating more and more content for it. And that's going to be an interesting journey for me. Nervous about it, but I'm excited all the same. (laughs) As well, I would be forever grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star rating and review. I would really, truly, greatly appreciate that so, so much. And if you need a direct link, you can find it in the link tree which is in the bio of my Instagram and Twitter page. Thank you so much. 
again for listening. I'm very excited about these upcoming episodes. And actually next week, I am beyond excited because it is going to be the episode on Captain America, the Winter Soldier, which is my favorite Marvel movie. I have seen it way too many times. I have a lot of thoughts in that movie and I love it a lot. And it's going to be a really chaotic episode to listen to. But that's it for now. Thank you again. And I'll catch you guys later. And don't forget, stay nerdy.